Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the Marketing Minds at DUConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We are not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with us, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peake. We're here, number 57. Today is the 3rd of July. Jackie is with us. Kevin, Hi, everyone. I decided you need to do like a, a Yoda version of this. Like oh. in his what do you, his language. What like mean do you? <laughs> <laughs> Not so you know <laughs> to help you, I must or so, I market know, proof that'd marketing, be, you're welcome to. <laughs> that'd be, be amazing. Oh, we could probably go on Fiverr or something and, and pay someone who's perfect at Yoda's voice to I love it. To do that. May the fourth. Uh, right know. after this commercial break from our sponsor. There you go. Just kidding. No, that's, yeah. Don't do it. That's my tip for this week. Don't do it's it. It's a trap. Ever. It's a trap. Uh, it's not $5 anymore. So I, I started re-listening to some of the Akimbo podcast, which is done by Seth Godin. And I can't tell if this is intentionally genius or what, but after he does a quick intro, he's always like, we'll be back with a message from our sponsors. And then it just skips straight to it because he has no sponsors. And I don't know if that's a dig at like uh, silly podcasts who have sponsors or he really just is looking for a sponsor and doesn't have one yet. Anyway, that's, that's not that's not why we're who here knows? today. We're here, no, we're here to, to, help to, uh, to talk about new home marketing and all the fun that goes along with it. And we begin, as always, with something that we call story time. Do I need to go first because no one else has it ready yet? I have, I have stuff. I, I decided I'm going to do a list okay. the story. List a story. A so listicle? not one story, a listicle, like BuzzFeed. <laughs> okay. I swear he said Take this it a while away. ago, but we're like, final house update from Andrew. Yay, yay, yay. Yay! Well, closing got delayed, da 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 all this stuff. Shenanigans were moving like four times before we moved. Go from this parent to that parent. It's been great. But we got our final calendar invite from the title company for next Friday, the 12th. <gasps> so nice. super excited. Woo-hoo. So only, how many days is that delayed? From the 24th of June to the 12th? That's probably not that bad, I would think right three weeks not ah, terrible know. who knows doesn't seem eh, i feel like it'll it be over soon worse it'll be over soon so that's it's like childbirth you'll you'll black it all out unless things go terrible <laughs> it is and you'll it's just like be like we love our house yeah yeah right yeah, you get there and you're like 39 weeks and like nope you need to go home or they make you walk the hall if you had a baby and you know this you've taken your wife right. up there or you've gone up there yourself and they're like no it's not time yet same thing they're just you know go home andrew i can imagine yeah. the entire peak household is just so ready I'm sure after bouncing around, yeah, parents are probably ready. It's been great. I'm, <laughs> I'm super, I'm super excited. And then the, the schedule, there's so many things I'm excited about, but like my office is me five feet from the kitchen. This is me amazing. <laughs> I can it's check dangerous. on campaigns anytime <laughs> I want on big giant monitors. So that's first story. Second story is Kevin and I were talking earlier today and I decided that Excel, Microsoft Excel needs to be like a, you just need to know it. I don't know if there's any other way. Well, you're trying to depress me now. I'm trying to depress everyone. (laughs) Well, it just opens up like a a creative, a technical creative component. Is that that I could trademark that in your brain? Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. For the ability to do things that you cannot do otherwise, that would take forever or be inaccurate. If that makes sense. But if you are like, oh, I could do that thing in Excel, and it will take me ten minutes versus six hours. Where if it's six hours, whatever the task may be, like you're like, I'm not doing that. That's not that's not possible. But if you're like, oh, just having that capability to be there. There, I'm sure there's other things in life where like if you just know how to do this thing, then you could do all these other yeah. 
things, if that makes any sense. Yeah. You're right. It is super helpful. It's one, it's something that I am just certainly not as good at. That's why I say you're depressing me. I mean, I can, I can get in there and I can maybe do stuff four times faster, but yeah, not to your level. So it, I think I might be on the extreme end. I think you did volunteered to do a series something. of solo podcasts slash screen shares or blog posts oh. on how to become yes. better at Excel. Excel Sounds Ninja. Like. I know so many Torture. friends that use it for personal life outside of work as well. Yeah, see, we're budgeting. a bunch of weirdos that do that. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get better at it as well. So unless you eat pancakes, that would be something to take you off my friend list. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. I know that was yeah. no, <laughs> funny. no waffles. No, it is, it is important. So important that our friend Will Duterstadt has told me that that is an interview question is what is your favorite function in Excel? And I think he tells them you're also not allowed to include the sum function because that's just adding up a total. Um, just to see if people who claim that they can use Excel actually can. Because I uh, feel like do it magic goes either way. That's good to know. I should start practicing more. You should. Well, I, maybe for you, I don't know if there's, if you're I don't like, know how oh. much I would utilize it. I think I would outside of maybe design work, but I'm all for learning something. So, <laughs> Andrew, yes. if you are willing to benefit. teach, all right, right. go to meeting time. Yeah. We'll be an Excel <laughs> party. Okay. That's, that's my two. It's a short listicle. Only two things. Oh, good. Unless you want me to. Good. I can come no, up that's with perfect. Else. No. That's perfect. So for me, story time. I recently was talking to a friend at a builder partner. And like anything else, you get together. And if anybody's in that same industry, it's just nice to be able to unload on each other. And they were telling me oh, yeah. how different approaches, the online sales. I'll also pull in the sales team as well with that and the marketing team how different they are with each other, those approaches, and how easy it is for there to be miscommunications between both departments that leave everyone frustrated. So for example, an ad goes out with a particular number on it, and the sales team isn't brought into the loop. So once traffic picks up, you know, and they're not aware of it, they got all these random calls and prospects asking questions, and they have no idea where that information is being pulled from. And that got Hmm. me thinking. So, you know, you think, although both specialize in their own niche function, they both exist for the same purpose to increase overall sales. And these ambiguities of their roles and overlapping responsibilities could make the entire operation less efficient. So, we were talking and we kind of came up with a couple things that would probably help. And really decrease just frustration between the both departments. They're they're there yeah. to serve and help each other. And if there's any frustration, that just limits what you can do together. You're there to be a team. Yeah. So whether that's utilizing the same CRM technology, and I've can't tell you how many times I've seen a group of people not having maybe the proper training between the departments and really not able to properly utilize and use it to its full capacity. So that's something. So whether it's getting everyone together to kind of go over the same training, keep in constant contact, whether that's weekly, multiple times a week, bi-weekly, just to access the same information on a parallel basis and encourage your teams to talk often. And based on what your team needs. I think that's just as long as everybody walks away feeling as if they're on the same page Mm -hmm. and not to be afraid to take advantage of group chat. 
I think a lot of people think I'm, I'm annoying them or I'm too much th- up their grill. But at the end of the day, you want to pull your teams together and establish clear rules and responsibilities because those lines can get fuzzy and it's worth setting standards early. Yep. Now, we don't want to go too deep into the specifics of this one particular builder partner, but I also think it's interesting that really shouldn't be as big of a challenge long term, right? Obviously, if there's changes right. that are made, that can that can happen. But when that happens consistently, it's usually because marketing's a little off the reservation. I'm not saying they mm-hmm. were in this case, but what I mean by that is community is struggling. So marketing comes up with a brand new tagline or starts talking about how great this thing is about the community that is kind of sort of true, but stretches things. Whereas if everything is pulled from the same place, i.e. the the builder site, or it's kind of just in the wheelhouse and marketing is just communicating what is already publicly available to sales, customers, everybody, that mm-hmm. that's just one other thing to check. Uh, I don't think, because I know the situation, it's not, it's not the impact here, but in a broader sense, that can happen where if marketing is just kind of pulling stuff out of their hat to try to make things work, then you mm-hmm. really have to double down on that communication that you're talking about. Because yeah, if it's not being talked about on the website now or in any of the materials that the salesperson would be using now, they're always, they're going to be like, what, huh? We, we say what now about this? That, that's not, yeah. that's not what yeah, we normally do. I agree. And I think a lot of it too, even with the sales team, they may not realize also how beneficial they can be to the marketing team, whether that's providing insight about customers. And because at the end of the day, marketing team is putting together this information about the buyers and who better than the sales team that has that one-on-one FaceTime interaction. And I just think at the end of the day, that could help optimize lead strength. You know, the marketing team is bringing in dozens of new leads a week, but if those leads are weak and they aren't that interested in making purchases, that doesn't do a sales team much good. So I think overall, yeah. I think it's just getting everybody to be one cohesive unit. It's like That's having a big family meeting. Big family. They need to love each other. Big family meeting. <laughs> awesome. My story is a Beautiful. short one, but there's a tool called Crisp with a K. Crispy. Crisp.ai. You'll see the link in the show notes. And what it lets you do is mute the background noise during calls using artificial intelligence slash neural networks. I don't know. I, I guess it does. But it's amazing. Uh, I've heard folks like Jeff Turner and others uh, share samples of themselves using this uh, a couple months ago. And I guess I've been holding out on everyone, but it was a Mac only thing. So it's like, who uses Macs anyway? Hmm. <laughs> but the, the Windows That's app true. is finally out. And there's a great sample demo that you can do where uh, it shows how powerful it is. And what it basically does is it, it makes a artificial microphone input and an artificial speaker output that basically becomes a buffer. And in a split second, almost unnoticeable, it's running artificial intelligence to say, is that the person speaking or is that background noise and silencing it for you? And it's pretty darn amazing. And and we're checking out. So now there's one less excuse. You know, I work in a busy office and people scream at each other and have Nerf gun fights all the time. And (laughs) you can get rid of it. If you're in a coffee shop, you can get rid of it and really trust that they're only hearing hearing your voice. So anytime we come across uh, cool little things like that, we always want to make sure we, we share it with you. 
Yeah, I just Yay. listened to a few of those demos they have on their on their site. They have like street, screaming child, airport, coffee shop, like different circumstances. And yeah, that's that's uh, pretty cool. They need like the that's dog awesome. barking. I think would be a good one to put on there. Like, so d- does yes. it work by like sampling the sound prior? Like it knows like okay, that's not uh, mm-hmm. Andrew. I think talking, it's always listening, and then it's always filtering listening. once you start talking, and it, and it can tell obviously that your voice is closest to the microphone. Gotcha. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. And you can download a free trial. The one thing to note, I believe about the free trial though, is that it only lets you test listening to the person that you're talking to. So if you want to make yourself sound better, you do have to pay for the full version, I believe, but definitely go, go check that out. If that's something that you struggle with, or you're working a lot on the road, make sure you give it to Ted. You know, that guy who always joins every conference call with his windows down in his car. Yes. So we can get rid of one Ted. part. <laughs> yeah, Ted. <laughs> Ted, I think you need to meet yourself. Ted. Right. You know who your Ted is. Yes. It's a Ted. Hey, I'm calling in today. No, don't do it. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh let's shift over to the news. And the first news item is that we now have uh, the ability for you to call in and and interact with the show with your voice uh, in about as easy a way as we could come up with. So feel free to so call this number, leave a voicemail with uh, questions that you'd like us to answer, comments or feedback from the previous week's episode, things that you think we got right, we got wrong, just missed out on completely. We'll address them on the following episode whenever we get those. And that number is 404-369-2595. Or again, click the link in the show notes on your mobile device and say hello. Get interact with us. It'd be fun. So their their voice will be on the podcast. If, right? Yes. And don't sue us when you're like, I didn't know your <laughs> voice will be on the podcast. Uh, we can change your voice. You don't have to say who you work for. Yeah. You don't have to say your name. Do one of the anonymous uh, but ones. Your voice will be on the podcast. And at the end, let's just say this. For, I know how crazy some of you are. If you want us to disguise your voice, uh, make you a little bit higher pitched, lower pitched, whatever, we oh, can fun. probably look at doing that. Oh, just say that awesome. at the end. You can be the, the, the mystery we'll caller. Make you chipmunk. Mystery caller. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll make you chipmunk. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> awesome. That is funny. So the the first real news story that we have is the kickoff of Online People Talking, or OPT, uh, with Jen Barkin. And it's a monthly video series dedicated to enhancing careers and lives of online new home sales specialists. And really, it's like a virtual support group, too, uh, and or virtual training for your boss if you think that they might benefit from having a little bit more broader exposure to how the role works and different aspects that, that online salespeople struggle with. And episode one features the team from Stylecraft Builders, Tanner Brewster, Lacey Warburton, and our very own Jen Barkin. And together they manage 400 leads a month uh, for one of the country's largest builders. And they have just been on a tear. I mean, they're kicking butt and taking names. And anytime you go from a team of one to a team of two, kind of like being promoted from a salesperson to a sales manager, it's either going to be awesome or terrible. And there's yeah. really no in between. And, and these two are awesome. So we're going to play a short clip here so that you can get just a flavor of it. And if you want to hear the whole thing, uh, go to doyouconvert.com and click on the link. So one thing that I want to ask you that, that came up with what you said is when you look at activities as a whole that you've got to accomplish, you know, you have mm-hmm. you mentioned long-term prospecting is one thing that as a team, 
you tackle together. So Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that and how you plan out what you're going to do for the month and how to tackle some of those things together. Yeah. So typically in the the monthly meetings that we have, we'll sit down and we will plan the long-term follow-up emails for that month and the next month. And we send out the same email to all prospects because, and sometimes some things do cross over and you don't want to send one person, one email and another person, another email. And what if they contradict each other? So we always want to make sure that we're sending out the same materials and that they can kind of blanket over all of the areas. And that really helps keeping our brains together. <laughs> right. If, if I was to have my own emails and he did his own, then you wouldn't have that support of every, you know, both of us being able to work on the same project together. Being a team really, really helps in this scenario. I couldn't imagine doing this by myself. And the next item up is one that we posted about in the Market Proof Marketing Facebook group when it was uh, breaking news. But Zilla Group is introducing a new and improved assessment algorithm that uses in part it uses computer vision to see exactly what is in your home based upon the images that are uploaded. So Creepy. it's time to, again, yet another excuse goes down the wayside of, well, our homes sell so quickly. Why bother putting the latest, greatest photos? Or And this sparked a lot of conversation actually in the group too. People curious of if I'm uploading low res pixel images currently, because that's all my website will support. Am I being hindered? Uh, a lot of good things, and we'll we'll ask for some clarification if the if the Zilla team is able to give us any on how exactly that works. But essentially, artificial intelligence, computer vision is looking at these pictures and able to tell the types of products, materials, and just kind of general build quality and finish finishing level that the home has, and give it the appropriate bump or drop in zestimate value. Hmm. Pretty, pretty cool. Darn I, cool. Interesting. I could yeah. imagine. I forgot when we were talking about this, but I would assume that Zillow is able to, with their, I'm, I'm assuming this is AI based or somehow it's, I have no idea. Like, hey, this is this countertop. At some point, a person, individual was looking at samples of granite, quartz, marble, whatever, and going, this is marble, this is quartz. I'd assume that that's like oh, teaching, the provision. Teaching it. Teaching yeah. how to, how to, and then so that when they look at it, they may know, yeah, the home may sell for a little more, seeing the granite. Is, yeah. That this is that, and just the catalog, and imagine like later, like the next. I'm sure they're having like you upload your own, and then you take a picture of just the countertop for Zillow's use, so that they could mm-hmm. get a better estimate. Which would be back to like the the um, person had the question about like, hey, my photos are low res. I wonder if long term Zillow would be like, we'll pull from your feed, but if you're able to provide product sample photos, I don't know what it would be called, but like. So they could be like, oh, you do have this type of quartz that generally sells more or less, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So like uh-huh. separate photos from that just for the sake of, <laughs> oh, the tiles, 12 by 24, not 12 by 12. I don't know. Um, and that's... But that's... So what when you... Oh, okay. That's what consumer wanted to know anyway, though, right? I mean, that's again that's, goes back yeah. to like, this is a good to excuse to do what you should have been doing anyway. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. But people wanted to see the detail of the tile work. They wanted to see the Listella details. All those things were already there. And so it, it's just, it's awesome. And I think I was, I was chuckling when you were talking about training the artificial intelligence, because I'm sure the best way to train it would just be to say in today's world, watch Fixer Upper. If it's in that show yeah. in the second <laughs> half, like you better know it, add value 10%. <laughs> right. You know? yeah. um, 
But this update is going to include more than just the computer vision. It also includes, for the first time, directly evaluating the home's list price and listing description. So again, the words that are being used, which Vizilla's already been telling us for a long time that you know, better descriptions do cause more leads to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. How many days it's been on the market as well. So they're shuffling the deck on a lot of things. And we saw those estimates on some of the homes that we've been working on change rather dramatically already. I still have a hunch that one of the things that are in this latest algorithm update is simply how many eyeballs are looking at a home slash favoriting it. it uh, I think that's that certainly makes sense to have that be included in, in the mix. But hey, Zestimates are, are definitely here to stay. It's, and again, Zillow wants it to become an standing offer. So they're not just doing this out of response from what home builders have been complaining about or real estate agents. It's like, nope, what's the consumer need to know to make an informed decision? And I, I think it's a good step forward. Yeah, and, and that and something that I feel like I could keep going on this. This is almost like it's they're getting every detail about the home that they will potentially hold for so, yeah. that period of time without having mm-hmm. to put an individual out there as much. I agree, or at least make that process scalable, more efficient. As far as like, oh, here's the homes we want. That one's not updated. Don't want it. This one is updated. We do want it. Although I think they said so, long term, every home would have the offer. Reading through everything too. Like besides the sophisticated machine learning techniques for the special home features, it looks like it also will factor in the location details to commute times and proximity to different key spots around the area. Mm-hmm. So it's it's taking a little of everything. Which in some ways you could say that the price of comparable homes that were sold already takes all that into account. But yeah. I think it's just awesome that they're saying we're not just going to go off comparative sales of a similar sized home in a similar area, we're going to start looking at that separately as a check and balance because you've seen that example all the time where one house sells for way more than it ever should have, or one mm-hmm. house sells for way less than it ever should have. And and not having that just be a one size fits all smack on this estimate, but but have these other pieces to to check that and try to make it as accurate as possible. So that's it's awesome. Exciting. And speaking of computer vision, yeah, because Facebook melted today on the third. All of a sudden, a bunch of images just weren't showing up, and it's still melting. Yeah, like this was at like nine a.m. Come 9, on, 10 Zuckerberg. Yeah, what are you doing? Let me see if it's still down. Um, but yeah, they I'm had seeing a bunch of articles. Yeah, I think everyone saw here. Yeah, they that's still broken. Um, you saw instead of an image, there was like it was almost like the alt text. If you're thinking in terms of HTML and SEO, mm-hmm. except it'd say image contains or may contain house, outdoor, door, clouds. Man in suit. Man in suit. Like- <laughs> More than four people or whatever the number mm-hmm. may be. You're like, that's that's like the dumb version of, of what Zillow will be doing or is doing with their uh, computer vision. Of course, imagine Facebook is, mm-hmm. you know, the amount of the range, I guess, not maybe not necessarily the depth, but just the range of things that they could recognize in an image is just... Not infinite, but you know, absurd. Like it just keeps going and going. May contain. They can probably yeah. see if you put us a picture of, let's say, I'm drinking right now. It's called Heyday Cold Brew Coffee. It's in a can, the size of a Red Bull can. They could, if I put a picture of this, they could be able to read this whole thing and go like, oh, cool, this guy drinks cold brew coffee that's prepackaged, and now I could be advertised to for this type of product. I need to ask a completely unrelated Creepy. question. How long has cold brew coffee been a thing? I don't know. 
Because I've only this been on, on this trend for about one. a month and a half. But, but I normally don't man, like it. Man, is it awesome. If that means anything. It's, oh, it's, really? It's too... Oh. I like it more bitter. More bitter, strong. Yeah, no. What, I don't that, like that's it when it's... Of it. gonna, Get rid of that yeah, stuff. I like the... Kevin, how do you... Opposite. Are you drinking it from a can? I, I got to figure uh, out a way no, how to try No, coffee from this. a can sounds... I know we're putting water <laughs> in cans now instead of bottles, but coffee from a can is a place I don't think I want to go. Well, the, um, the prepackaged ones are good in a can, like this one. And they have some that are like... How do you add your cream to it? I still can't drink yeah. it like uh, this plain. One, I can't. This one's actually... It's called Salted Mocha Heyday Cold Brew Coffee. So it has oh, a little so bit flavored. of... It has okay. a little bit of sugar in it and a little bit of cream. See, I'm the type... I like a little bit of coffee with my cream and sugar. So I would probably have to have like half a can filled so that I could. Right. That's a problem. So no, we buy it in bulk in like gallon size and then pour it out. But that's, yeah. Anyway, I I just want to, I always like to check how out of touch I'm becoming with life. I'm going on uh, Google trends right now to see, because I feel like it's the past year. Everyone has cold brew now. I don't even know if people know. Like, are they just doing it? Yeah, I, I was at our brand new Starbucks around the corner and they had nitrogen something cold. Oh. It was like Guinness for cold brew coffee. That's good. Uh, at first I thought it was just Starbucks was serving alcohol. I was like, <laughs> what, is, what is this? It's on tap. What, what is that? the world come to? They, yeah, you yeah. Probably, that'd be the day. I'm sure you're, what's the, what's that cool area? We went to Easton. Is that the? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure that we have Starbucks here that serve alcohol at night after a certain time. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, craft beer and mm. certain wines. I'm sure that one does. That's a really cool wow. spot, the Easton one, I would think. Or maybe it's the Florida thing. Maybe not. I'm sure not. What are you, are you saying? The one right by my house that just opened? That Is one it going to be like, um, doing the cool stuff? You mentioned. No, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I know well, what you're talking about. <laughs> give me a hard time. Move it on. Cool Move location. It on. I'm jealous uh, of that. Whatever it is, Easton, it's, I don't know. Yeah, you feel like it is there. nice. It's, it's a very nice area. And uh, hopefully soon, you, many of you will be able to come visit us uh, oh. for many different reasons there. <laughs> but back to, so Facebook is using computer vision <laughs> as well. And, and while the site is down, it's, it's kind of fun to be able to see what it is. And of course, a lot of that started for privacy concerns, to be able to root out stuff from Russia and other countries or terrorists or just bad content. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it's also being used to match uh, content to the right audiences who care about man, man in suit man in or suit. housing or whatever or else it's able to see may contain coffee. In, in that ad creative. And then our last news story, Facebook housing employment credit change is coming soon. This is straight from the Facebook reps. Andrew, I'm gonna let you do this, but Ooh. it's uh, it's getting real. In fact, uh, there are also some geographic targeting yeah, I changes that are oh tell us I need to read right this now. whole like awful statement like the end of a radio ad for like uh, no no we'll these. link to it or something but it's know, essentially essentially what I noticed the other day and it has not been rolled out to all accounts but on a few there's a button that is now you have to self select which I thought was interesting at the campaign level if you make a Facebook ad it says does this ad advertise X Y Z housing employment credit and then you can click it or not click it. I'm surprised it's self-selecting right now. So you're opting in that you are doing that. But then you do that and then you're targeting. Age goes away. Like you, there's no age option. Uh, gender goes <laughs> away. So there's oh, there no male, female. And then mm. zip code. You cannot do anything with zip codes. And the minimum radius when you do put in, say, Columbus. You type in Columbus and the smallest circle you can make is 15 miles. 
So, which we, we yeah, so knew those changes. I know were I coming, sound like the old man ooh, who's lost their mind. I think they're letting people self select right now so they can literally just be like, okay, HUD, you want to sue someone? There you go. <laughs> like, yeah. We yeah. made the box. They didn't check it. They so, didn't. just because you can ignore it right now, I still, I know it sounds crazy and it makes me, me sound crazy, but I would, I would check that box and I would start doing things the right way because you're going to have to figure it out sooner or later. One way. Yeah, I was yep. just going to say, one way or another. The, here's the disclaimer statement I will read. Here's from Facebook. Starting June 27th, we will be first introducing these requirements in Ad Manager as an option to a small subset of advertisers. All advertisers targeting the U.S. must comply with these restrictions when creating or editing housing, employment, and credit ads by September 2019 in Ad Manager and all interfaces by the end of 2019. By the end, that's by the end of 2019. Sorry, this is this is long. We'll require all new <laughs> ads related to housing and employment and credit. So it looks like this this self select mm. period by 2019, and then September you better pick it on your own. If I understand that correctly, mm-hmm. we need a we need a lawyer mm. to look at this. That's a lot of language and commas and so yeah. yeah but the uh, the important part though is if you go in there and click everything at once, it will reset your targeting to back to nothing. So if you had all your radiuses perfect and you click the button and you think it will hold it, even if you were already in compliance, it just defaults it to like, hey, get in there and reset it. So you might have mm-hmm. to take some time if you have a lot of campaigns. Awesome. Super fun. Awesome. Well, that'll do it for yeah. the news. We're going to take a quick break. and we come back, we're going to be joined by Michael. From Door, D-O-R. That's the company. Remember, I found them in my spam box. We had some conversations, but it continues to move on. And this is going to be a fantastic interview with Michael. Uh, clarifies a lot of things. Going to give us some pricing details. You're not going to want to miss this. And again, this is the tool that tracks using infrared cameras, foot traffic through your model homes or retail locations. We will be right back. Welcome back to our 360 topic of the week, counting traffic with Door. We talked about them a couple of weeks ago in our news segment and our story time segment. Mm-hmm. And now Michael Gimmerin from Door is here with us. Michael, thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having for me. On. Yeah, you bet. So Door, for those of you who missed those other episodes, is a company. I'll say what I think they do, and then Michael will correct me, it is providing a solution to count walk-in traffic, retail traffic for lots of different industries. And it caught our attention as something that may be the right answer for a lot of home builders and developers out there as well. But tell us quickly, how did Door come about? What a problem are you trying to solve? Kind of the origin story. Sometimes we use superhero analogies on this show, Michael. So what's, what's kind of the origin story of Door? Yeah, absolutely. So our company came about a few years ago when Michael Brand, the CEO, so everyone's name in the company is Michael, makes things a lot easier. (laughs) When he, he had this thought that with smartphones making small sensors a lot cheaper, that you would be able to instrument a lot of spaces, commercial and otherwise. And he realized that there wasn't a really good way to measure foot traffic for commercial spaces. The traditional 
systems used these stereoscopic video cameras that were difficult to install, difficult to maintain, and difficult to calibrate. And so he asked, okay, is, would it be possible to make a sensor that is much simpler that people could install in two, three minutes and you know, start getting that data immediately? And basically, once they had the first prototype and they started showing it to small businesses, people got really excited. And one thing led to another. And now we're a Series A funded startup with $12.5 million under our belt here in San Francisco. Just about 35 people. Wow. And I stalked a little bit on Michael as well. And he has some background in hardware design with Apple, right? So yeah. he's not... It sounds very similar to a Nest or a other kind of even smart home technology companies that have been created with, with Apple, former Apple executives. Exactly. So Michael and the CTO, Greg, actually met at Apple. And they, I believe, were on the iPod team. And one of the big things that they had talked about is that a lot of technology in the retail space and in commercial spaces is quite ugly. And so since the beginning, design has been a very important part of Door. And actually, the sensors are quite beautiful, very simple, very minimalist, nothing extra, nothing fancy. You know, it's something they actually take pride in is the design aspect of it. And I, I find that really nice, actually. Cool. We'll hop in more into the device itself and what Door does. Let's back up a second and talk about walk-in traffic as a whole, because you guys, Door wasn't developed for home builders and developers. Your kind of first plan of attack is going after retailers, which kind of very similar to what home builders do in, in some ways. But talk to about talk to us about walk-in traffic for retailers. And in today's digital world, is that still a concern that they have? What, what does that look like? Talk to us a little bit about the pain point that you're trying to solve for retailers and, and how they view yeah, sure. What, what is causing that pain? Sure. So for a lot of retailers, their physical spaces carry very high fixed costs, right? Online is great. You know, you don't have to employ workers. It's easier from an inventory management perspective because you can centralize everything in a distribution center. But a lot of these folks still have large store presences. And what they're finding out is that the store experience is a huge component of their brand value and why people come to them. And so foot traffic is really an important metric for retailers because it allows them to connect the bottom of their marketing funnel with the top of their sales funnel. And basically, to walk through what that looks like, you'll spend money in a, in a geography, maybe a print, radio, even digital ads to get people into your stores to experience your customer service and then hopefully to buy your products. And if you're not counting foot traffic, then it's difficult to separate out a good location from a good management team or really to understand if the promotions that you're running are being effective, right? Imagine you had a website and you didn't know how many people were visiting it every day. You just knew how many transactions took place. It's very foreign to a lot of our digitally native brands who are opening stores. They say, what do you mean we don't have this data of, you know, who comes <laughs> to our website? That's ridiculous. And, you know, we send them the device and they have it installed within a couple of days. And, you know, then all of a sudden their analytics start to look the same. Yeah, that's hilarious because we many years ago used to help home builders understand the importance of a website by explaining that it was kind of your virtual model home. And that was home builders had no problem building a half million dollar model home and staffing it and putting collateral material and content in there and, and all the things that were necessary to make that work. But then at the beginning, when you asked them to start investing, quote unquote, real money 
in their website and the person to respond to leads on that site, et cetera. They were kind of like, we don't, why would we do that? This is just a, our, our latest flyer and helping them understand. But you're talking about a lot of people kind of circle around the other way and seeing the, the importance that that physical location has on their digital business too. It, That's awesome. It's huge. Go to any mall in the United States and you'll see store vacancies. And the stores that are really thriving are the ones that you know are just in time or they have really mm-hmm. high quality customer experiences. And I think everybody really wants that. And I think that's what's making people stand out. And so they need foot traffic data. With your product, would a retail store be able to track, say, aisle by aisle? Like if they're running a promotion for a certain type of product, I would imagine you could place the sensors in more than one location and kind of get a, just like a website, you're like, okay, did people view this product category or this, this floor plan? You yeah. could do the same type of type of thing i would i would think yeah exactly a lot of people want to do that and in fact there are a lot of companies that claim to do that in the space our technology is not particularly good at that because we require a doorway which actually led to kind of a funny story with a home building very large home building (laughs) retailer where they're like okay we'll we'll just create a doorway on every single one of our aisles we're like "Mm." (laughs) that might be a little strange and you know when you have these ideas about how things are going to work and then you try them in the real world and you realize just how ridiculously hard they are. And for us, just counting people that go under a standard American single or double door is a hard enough challenge. Looking at where people are yeah. in an aisle or where they are in a store is an extremely difficult machine learning challenge. And I, I don't think anyone has solved it yet. Wow. Yeah, I think I had no Amazon idea so complicated. is the only one who's going to be close to that with their, their stores. And that's obviously not an inexpensive, uh, simple and elegant device solution. Like what, what you guys are describing. And I also do not tell this who, cause I don't want to get you in trouble, yeah. but it has to be either Menards or some, like, I, I can't imagine a Lowe's or Home Depot being like, let's build a doorway. It's gotta be someone like Menards. That's my guess. Yeah. No comment on that one. <laughs> I will, <laughs> okay. I will say this about Amazon's ghost stores to people. Um, If you have one, you should visit one. They're an incredible experience. And you should walk in and buy something like really simply, like walk in, pull water off the shelf or something, and then walk out and see how long it takes to get a receipt. And then walk in and maybe try and trick the system a little bit and then walk out and see how long it takes to get a receipt. And you (laughs) you might be surprised at the latency between those two, which would suggest that perhaps it's not working the way they claim that it's working. You know what? You're my you new favorite person, Michael. Just saying, just try it. <laughs> no, this is this is one of our big beefs. Andrew's got an, an awesome question to follow up with Jan, but one of our big challenges with companies and technology suppliers or marketing vendors is calling things artificial intelligence that you said without saying, right? There's there's some human element that's there's something flagging saying, hey, we're not sure what's happening here. And there's likely a human being who's having to make a judgment call and fill in the gap, which doesn't sound as slick or as cool, but is the reality of where we find a lot of artificial intelligence or what people claim to be artificial intelligence today is. Yeah, it's as a technologist or as someone who in the Valley, I wish more people would be upfront about, and I'm not saying that Amazon is doing this, although you could no. gather evidence for it, but <laughs> yeah, you know, the idea of using people who are a lower cost per hour to manually label data that's a great idea, right? Like, and there are a ton of 
different contexts where that happening. Absolutely. Right. Like think about like automated trucks. You don't need the truck necessarily to be able to drive, but you could have a guy like in a, in a warehouse somewhere who's driving 15 trucks. Right. But I think people should be open about that sort of thing. But anyway. Absolutely. No. And, and mm -hmm. CAPTCHA uses humans to solve that problem. Exactly. Uh, in a lot of ways. Right. And so it's also a great way to help those folks potentially as long as the working conditions are good and everything else get, get a better wage. So, but I, I, yeah, I think it's just, that's anyway, you're my new favorite. Oh, thank uh, you. <laughs> I just think too many people are duped into signing up and paying AI level pricing for a product or service that actually doesn't have much artificial intelligence yeah, in it at all. Totally. Yep. So, okay. All right, Andrew. <laughs> Keep going. Cool. Sorry, cool. that was awesome. Next one. And this is, I, I thought this was a super simple question, but after my last one, I'm like, well, maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's not. Have you found working with retailers, is walk-in traffic more or less valuable? And maybe like my comment after that is like, maybe we don't, we don't know if we're not able to track as much yeah. as I thought we did. You know, I feel for retailers because there are a lot of shifts going on in the American economy. And I think, you know, all of us who've been adults for 10, 20 years can tell you that things are drastically different. And they get a ton of advice from different folks who are industry experts or commentators or consulting firms about you got to have data and they're drowning in data. And so when we talk about foot traffic, I think one of the most important stories for them is the simplicity of it. And how it's easy to say something like, let's rank all of our stores by foot traffic and then compare that to the ranking of all of our stores by revenue. And gaining insights from something like that, like simplifying the process of processing all of that data, that I've found has been really resonant and people appreciate that as opposed to saying, here's my data scientist and he's going to talk to you about a dozen, you know, PhD level correlations and it's very difficult in a lot of times to connect that uh, complexity and that level of in academic insight to real business drivers, right? Like one of the ones I like to talk about is, okay, so you notice that your best customer is a five foot five tall woman who has red hair. What's the business insight that you can get from understanding that? Like you're going to tell your all your associates to only talk to that person? I mean, it's kind of absurd, right? But that's... That's the level yep. of data that people are collecting, and that's the challenge that they have. And that's where they're defaulting wow. to, which kind of goes into the question that I had, which your approach is not meaning to sound negative because I actually think it's brilliant, but it's lower tech in that you're not trying to connect with Bluetooth. You're not trying to use facial recognition to identify that this person is a female or five foot five. You're trying to just simply count the thermal signature of a human being passing through a doorway. Do you think that, just talk to me about privacy concerns of devices that are, are not like door yeah. or, or how that has played out in the landscape of retail? Yeah, well, so I think, I don't think many Americans are aware just how much data is collected about them. And I joined door because it was in a lot of ways, the least surveillance-y surveillance company that I had ever come across. <laughs> Um, and the basic idea uh -huh. was we want to cool. try and collect the absolute minimum amount of data to provide the most business value. And when you get right down to it, just knowing that someone came in or they went out, it, it gets you like 60 or 70% of the way there. 
because there's so much you yep. can do around looking at the effectiveness of promotions, looking at the uh, what's called a, a Z squared score for like the weather and all this other stuff that foot traffic can tell you. And then you don't need to collect everyone's birth certificate records all the way up through, you know, when the last time they ate at McDonald's was, <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. it's, people, it's crazy. And this idea of an omni-channel cookie, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically, oh yeah, nice. <laughs> uh -huh. I, I worked my entire life in Silicon Valley and you're just like, wow, you know, there's absolutely nothing that these guys don't know about you when you walk into their store. And as a consumer, I, I just find that wrong. So I, anyway, I appreciate that we collect. So for, for everyone else, though, listening, just quickly, Omnichannel Cookie, kind of talk to, give a yeah, quick Yeah, so it's basically, you know, your computer, when you browse websites, those websites store information on that you went to them. And there are other ad networks that can extract that information through a series of legal partnerships and build a model of your behavior. And what an omni-channel cookie is, is that it uses some personally identifiable information, like your cell phone has special numbers associated just with it. And they try and connect that cell phone with your online digital persona. And it's at the level now where you walk into a store in some instances, and mostly this doesn't happen in the United States because people, are, I think, are a little bit afraid to go full bore. But you walk into a store and the sales rep mm -hmm. has a point of sale tablet that tells them everything about you. Just everything. Instantly. Wow. Right. And you can imagine I had a I had someone tell me a story about how they were training sales associates in another country that does this. And, you know, a really kind of rich person walked in relative to their normal clientele. And all the salespeople were like leaving their customers to go talk to that person. It's like yeah, that, that's a great, it's hmm. a great thing that hopefully doesn't happen soon in the U.S. But Well, I think the, the point that you're making, which I completely, again, agree with, is for the last decade, everyone has been working to get this attribution and connection from the beginning to the end. I can see where Kevin or Michael first clicked or interacted to every purchase they've made in every source. And I just, to me as most companies are just now starting to get to the point where they can get within 75, 80% mm -hmm. of that mark. I think the the privacy movement in this country, especially is heading to the point that by the time they get there, you're not going to be able to do it anyway, or you're going to wish you never had, you know, it's very difficult to put technologies back in the box, especially when they're so inexpensive and relatively speaking, these technologies are very mm -hmm. inexpensive for the amount of value that you get. Yeah, yep. I think it should be very interesting. I mean, we just had another. So I live in San Francisco. They've banned facial recognition technology in a couple of contexts. We just had another municipality in the U.S. ban facial recognition technology in Massachusetts. It would be interesting to me to see how many people end up doing that. And then, of course, there are a whole lot of concerns with using facial recognition and other PII when you maybe have like a European citizen coming to the United States because of something called GDPR. Um, right. And as a home builder mm -hmm. or as a retailer where your core competency is building homes and selling people things that they want, having to understand the international implications of storing personally identifiable information about German citizens visiting your you know, home in Iowa is insane. And so I think if people can reduce the amount of information that they collect, it will actually be a net benefit in the future. And as a privacy conscious person, that makes me happier because now they don't know you know, that I use Crest toothpaste as an example. 
Right. And that's where we know our consumers and customers are also going to be glad when we can say that we either no longer do this or never have done this. I think it's a, it's a potential strength. And I agree with you. The technology is not going to go away unless the government mandates it. Although your own legal team may, in that example of someone from Europe going online, requesting information from a home builder because they're thinking about relocating to Iowa. I mean, that still is a uh, real problem. <laughs> I can't even imagine the liability. Yep. How does door track to not be like that? As far as like, what's the mechanism of tracking? I don't think we covered that, how it actually works. Door is an infrared sensor. There's actually a number of sensors on the device and they're all extremely low resolution. And what that means is the data that comes off them is very basic. And so the primary most advanced sensor on our device is eight by eight pixels in the infrared spectrum. So you think about like Predator for a second. It's only 64 <laughs> pixels, which you cannot get PII from that. And just those 64 pixels uh-huh. are a difficult enough problem for us to separate out like a group of people walking under the sensor and then what direction are they walking so that we get ins versus outs. And so it's a hard enough machine learning challenge as it is just to do that. And in terms of PII, it's just not possible for the sensor to collect that sort of information. And because we're, I didn't, we didn't say this yet, but door is peel and stick and therefore battery powered. When we connect to the cloud, the only thing that gets sent is a message that says, this is the time someone walked in, someone walked out. So there's no, there's no way to actually extract data out Very of cool. our system at any level to get identifiable information. And in fact, I have a customer that is very sensitive. And if you knew who the customer was, you would understand why. And they're a government customer that uses this to track through a secure facility. And they are very comfortable with it because Mm. it doesn't collect any information. And it's extremely difficult to get into the device, number one. And number two, even if you did, what you're going to get a a heat blob. Not helpful. Heat blob. I like it. Cool. Okay. (laughs) Very cool. No, that that is awesome. And that that let's start diving into a little bit more of practical application and how this actually works in potential home builder uses. So Unlike your large home building supply company, home builders have lots of doorways. And that was one of the things that intrigued me is home builders often get, have gotten pushback when they've tried to use trip sensors or light sensors or the main mm-hmm. door to the sales office opening. The pushback has always been, well, those folks are, you know, the construction guy is coming in and out four times a day. Uh, the salesperson went out to go get lunch and came back or you know, there's all this, all this noise in the system. And it seems like in particular home builders who are in someplace with you know, 30 different doorways or 20 different doorways, they can choose a potential location with it being battery operated where they know there's still maybe some noise, but the majority of the people who are going to go walk through the master closet doorway are on a tour. They're actually shopping versus someone coming back for their fourth visit and only going in the sales office to sign a piece of totally. paper. Totally. And, then and I think it was you guys. So I've had a number of uh, home builders call up just curiously. I think it was you guys who suggested the master bathroom. And <laughs> I think that was brilliant because it does solve a lot of the UPS driver type situations in terms of you're not going to have your sales associate using the master bathroom unless they're actually showing a client. And so that signal and noise ratio gets a lot better. Right. So thank you guys for that. But yeah, because the mm-hmm. sensors are peel and stick and we use those 3M command strips that you may remember using if you have a rental and you 
Wait, you're supposed to say you're using a proprietary <laughs> AI engineered oh, uh, yeah. okay. sticky Sorry. device. Oh yeah, that no, way you can charge a lot more money. <laughs> yeah, okay. It just doesn't jive with me personally, but maybe the company will write that. Yeah, this is the 3M. Well, what I was going to say is they allow you to install the sensor, collect some data, right, and then you can just move the sensor if you decide you don't want that door. And I wouldn't necessarily move ah, locations without cool. telling us because you would actually want us to cut the data off and then start a new location so that when you're doing your analysis, you're not actually conflating two. But certainly you could move from, say, like the side entrance or the garage door entrance to the master bathroom at the same location if you decide that the mm -hmm. traffic pattern is weird or, you know, turns out that the people who are visiting this particular model home don't visit the master bathroom for whatever reason. You can just do that. Yeah, which also might be interesting to know. So that's another use case potentially is putting multiple sensors in a home that is a newer design to get feedback of where people are naturally interested in in moving through the home and which rooms they may yeah, have totally. little to no interest in. <laughs> that's a good idea. And so this information is pushed to the cloud. Once it gets to the cloud, are, are users then able to export it into Excel, CSV, other formats? If they want to pull it into something like a Data Studio or a Power BI or something else like that, is there a capability to do that? Or does it all need to be done within the cloud yes. service itself? So the answer to all those questions is yes. We have a dashboard that allows okay. people to be uh, empowered to do interesting things. They can also click a button that will actually download an Excel file if they want to go a little bit more sophisticated, we can drop a CSV, which you then can import into basically any modern analytics tool. And then our most sophisticated users, mm -hmm. and think about guys who have like hundreds to thousands of locations, will actually use something called an API, and they'll actually write some custom code to connect their API sure. in Jest system to ours, and then pull the data that way. Okay, so we work with awesome. web design firms who use APIs all the time, and so... For those who want to invest in that, I'm not obviously it may or may not be super expensive. APIs kind of like AI. I see sometimes people it's very expensive to connect that. But so if the website of a home builder could call that API and pull in traffic data and line that up in their own CMS or backend system, potentially someone could see traffic and physical traffic in the same yeah, place. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot awesome. of really, as I'm yeah. talking with the home builders, there are a lot of very interesting use cases in terms of let's rank houses in a metro area, let's rank all kinds of things, let's look over time. I mean, a lot of this stuff is stuff you know, like most people come in on the weekends, but you may find that there's you know, a little bit of variance that you may not have otherwise guessed. And then the, the accuracy is a lot higher than using a person. So a lot of people who are coming to us for the reasons we've already discussed don't use the traditional foot traffic counters. So they have their sales associates doing it. And even the best sales associates are still people. And so they may make mistakes. Whereas this system is, you know, it just, it's just supposed to count people and it doesn't have any sort of bias. Right. And you would never say this, but sometimes people make mistakes and sometimes commission salespeople want to be able to just say they need more traffic because they couldn't convert the 25 that they saw last week. Oh, I would totally so, say that. So we have retailers that do have that problem <laughs> all the time. I mean, we have to be really honest about how the data is, is being used. And we really have to make sure that everyone from the store manager mm -hmm. and the retail employees all the way up to the C-suite, if they're looking at the data, understands all of the context and the potential incentives that people have to cheat 
or, you know, put tape over the sensor or, you know, I mean, people are people, right? Like if you, if you go in and you tell them, Hey, we're using this Mm. to, you know, fix the marketing or to get you guys more resources or to understand training. um, There's a ton of positive reasons to use the data other than like, we're going to track your performance. Then people can be a lot more friendly about it. And then they're very excited to do this because, you know, they feel like they're helping out to make the whole company better. Awesome. Okay. A little bit more about the device itself. Roughly how how big is this device? Yeah, it's it weighs about a pound and I would say it's probably like eight inches wide, two inches tall, and about two inches deep. So pretty much any any doorway, obviously that's what it's made to go yeah. on. We'll, we'll be fine. It is it is Apple White. Yes. Um, <laughs> as a, as a joke. White. So most home builders are gonna have white woodwork in today's world. So that's gonna that's going to blend in well with that in terms of a case opening around a doorway as well. Any, any lights or physicals, things on the outside that would draw people's attention or let you know when someone is being counted? No, there's nothing that indicates that they're being counted. Yeah, we, we, the devices are designed to be very unobtrusive and to sort of fit into this yeah. air style that you've just described. Um, so like I put one up mm-hmm. in my house and my wife didn't notice it for like a week. And then it was over my office door, but, um, cause I was trying uh-huh. to test out like, you know, every company claims, oh yeah, it's really easy. Anyone can do it. And you know, the reality of that is you have to test it. And I wanted to test that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really did take me about three minutes to install, which was surprising. So is the setup similar to when you get a new Alexa device in your home and you've got a, or just talk about the kind of simple steps to set up once you, once I stick it on the doorway. Yeah. So what comes next? Yeah, totally. So the, the device we're now in, I think our fifth or sixth iteration of it, basically there's a, a back plate that you pull the command strips on. And then the reason why there's a back plate and then the main device is so that you can replace the batteries. Basically it's, it's battery powered. And then it, it has a, uh, a square and a circle. So it's not possible to mount the device improperly with magnets. And then it just sticks on and then you push a button <laughs> and it beeps and then it works. Wow. It's, so it's predefined to go to the right place in the cloud or how does that? Yeah. So there, there is an activate process depending on. So this is where it gets complicated because different customers of mine have different ideas about how they want to integrate this into their stacks. So the devices all have yep. serial numbers and there is a like a software activation process, but it's literally like, oh, great. You know, go to activate.com, enter the serial number and then press enter. And take a picture of the device because what will frequently happen, even though they're <laughs> supposed to be very simple, I would say about a third of the devices need to be moved just due to human error. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. So they might put it like above, say, a doorway above the trim, and then that could block some of the sensor or something like that would be exactly the that would be the sort of generous issues. explanation for what happened i i couldn't explain to <laughs> you I, couldn't ex- I was like there's a diagram there's a video on how to install it we have, include a piece of paper and just a lot of things and the comp- trust oh, me man. yeah michael i did tech support for dial-up internet oh, okay. when i was in college and so <laughs> there were a number of people who would call in and say their internet didn't work. And I would just ask them to make sure their computer was plugged in to the wall. That solved a lot of, yeah. a lot of my calls too. So I, I get yeah. it. Wow. I get it. So to wrap up here, all this data getting pushed to the cloud, is there any type of general recommendation in terms of ideas or strategy of how, how to try to connect that walk-in traffic data to Google analytic data or other data that they may be collecting? Obviously that's a, 
complex question, but anything high level that mistakes that people make or, or things that you would say start simple and in, in this direction? Yeah. So I think personally in this context, if you have like 10 model homes that are instrumented and you therefore know how much traffic each one is getting, I would rank them by traffic. And then I would, you know, make the second column in my Excel spreadsheet, how much money I spend on marketing per month and just do a comparison like mm-hmm. that, you know, keep it simple. If you're, if you're asking a generalist question like that, it means that you may not have a very sophisticated process and that's okay. And so you should start small and just try and get like the bare minimum, right? So you just, the first enrichment is like, how yeah. much am I spending to get these people, right? Because in retail, you really want three statistics. How many people are coming to my locations? What percentage of them are converting? So in your context, maybe it's filling out a registration card. And then the third one is how much money did I spend per person to get them there? And if you know those three numbers, you yeah, can if, change your entire business. Yeah. So hit rewind 30 seconds, that that button on the left on your iPhone and re-listen to that again, because there's all kinds of great, those are three simple ones, but you can quickly riff off a couple of those in common home builder challenges and say, oh man, that could help me there too. Michael, thanks so much for hopping on and you don't have to. But any anything around pricing or ideas of pricing or ranges that you'd like to help people understand kind of how this system works? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of people don't have budget for foot traffic counters in home building, and that's fine. You know, our technology is for retail, so we're, we're, we're making a pretty drastic price cut. But if you're willing to commit to an annual contract we're willing to make the price around $100 a month. So $1,200 for the sensor for the year um, on that annual contract. And then the hardware, the hardware is, it does cost about $400. And basically, depending on volume, we can discount that hardware down to to free, right? So if you're coming at us with more than 100 locations, no hardware cost. And we do all the maintenance and support and repair and all that kind of thing. Again, Depending on where you put them, we have customers who sell mattresses, right? And the mattress will hit the device and it'll <laughs> fall off and break. And they're actually designed yeah. to break away elegantly, but they do break. And we do we do support and fix them when they're under contract. Um, so it's definitely full service. We we just want you to install them and then collect the data. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we're trying to get for the home builders is basically to make it $100 a month per doorway that they want to track. Awesome. And Michael said this Very earlier, cool. but they are a Series A startup, right? Yes, we're a series A startup. We've raised 12 and a half million. We have about 35 people in San Francisco and a few people across the US. We mostly only sell to the US and you know, we're already in facilities, retail, all kinds of contexts um, just cuz people don't really this technology was like 10 to 50 times more expensive before door entered and so all of a sudden there's a lot of new use cases with us. Well, and I'm also Reemphasizing that to give you the out of if you are listening to this podcast in the year 2024 or something, you may yeah things change rapidly in startups <laughs> in terms of pricing and product and all the rest. So absolutely, yeah, very generous of you to give us a pricing model that you're in now. But understand that you know things do change rather rapidly in startup land. So thanks again for for hopping on, Michael. You are my new favorite person who works at a traffic counting company in San Francisco, (laughs) for sure. Love it. Thank you, Kevin. And Andrew. Yep. Thank you. It was great.
that was a blast talking to Michael. He really is my new favorite person from San Francisco that we talked to today. I mean, just his, <laughs> yeah, he was awesome. his frankness about how artificial intelligence is being positioned and used at times inappropriately just to try to get people excited was awesome. A lot of clarity, really simple, direct stuff, but, but really helpful for, for builders and others in terms of tracking foot traffic. And that's going to uh, continue on into this week's new question of the week. But first, let's go back to the answers from our previous question of the week, which was, which project management tools do you use to keep yourself and your team organized and we did it survey style with a lot of options here so and not all of them are jedi mind tricks i thought that one might get get clicked but no one no No one did did. yeah so most popular and then we'll read a couple quick comments at the end google drive and Mm -hmm. Basecamp were the top two interesting then email which is scary as heck um, that's, project that's, management tool to keep yourself organized. That's not a tool. I guess it, you could select more than it's an one. Inbox. So it's a right. It's part of the right. whole picture. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I, I'm looking at the people who checked that box, and they also checked Google Drive and Basecamp and other things. Trello for behind, and we're starting to like that more and more as we yeah, start using that a little bit ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's a little different format. Excel. Oh yeah, uh, it is. there it is. There you go, Andrew. Yeah. See rows and columns. <laughs> I. What does Monday mean? Is that an app? That is. I, yeah, I, I guess I'm out of the loop. You haven't seen their ads? They're maybe they're no. all over face on my Facebook. It's like the anti, at least the way I perceive their ads, it's like the anti-project management tool tool in their video that they make. Oh, it, interesting. It looks like Trello. Like they definitely have the, I don't know the correct name for it, like the Trello board, you know, mm-hmm. the vertical stacks. It has like the Gantt chart thing, you know, where you have dependent dependencies and then dates and all that stuff and then excel type of friendliness where you could just do things very color coordinated yeah. i was gonna say that's so that's interesting it, okay. but i might try uh, it out but it's looks affordable some of those and are, then rounded are things out google keep and OneDrive. uh google we're keep. in there and then uh, Renee, Renee, I love, I always love your honesty. I am admittedly all over the board, but open for suggestions. Company wide, we use Google Drive, but email tends to be my best form of organization in that if it's in my inbox, it needs action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, the biggest hiccup, and Mike loves to tease people about this uh, live in person at our summit and other times, is when things need action, but you can't take action right now, what happens? That's usually when email breaks down and you have the 6,000 unread email because you're, mm-hmm. you might need it someday, but today is not that day. <laughs> and what do you do in the meantime? And then Shannon uh, said, or Shannon, I, I, sorry, Shannon, I know your name's Ashley, but it says Shannon Ashley. So sorry, not sorry. I don't, I don't sorry. Know. <laughs> Tre- Tre- Trello, Google Docs, Sheets, Slack. Uh, I like Slack too. Mm-hmm. Slack is just a good way to get things that do not require action, but just conversation around things. Similar to Basecamp. It's one of the reasons I do like Basecamp oh, yeah. is being able to have a conversation next to milestones and, and to-dos uh, as well. But mm-hmm. awesome. And our new question of the week, how do you, or do you, <laughs> so how do you measure do foot you? traffic in your model homes currently, <laughs> or do you even measure it? And I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, there was a point in, at our time when Heartland was private uh, before we were acquired, where for about two and a half years, we only used Lasso to measure all traffic, on, on-site traffic as well as online traffic. And to get that process, 
you know, of course we had paper cards and we had other reports went back and forth. And once we got those numbers in terms of lasso and that other method within about an 80% consistency of, of those numbers correlating, we just said, we're killing this other thing and we're, we're only using the CRM. And that was a big win for us. But a lot of people that we interact with and, uh, and work with as builder partners still are measuring foot traffic outside of the CRM. So do you use paper cards? Do you use digital registration tools? Do you have a, a self-contained kiosk where they can do floor plans and registration and all those things together? Is it just on an iPad? Is it on the wall on a TV? Would love to hear how you guys are measuring foot traffic in your model homes and sales centers today. And if it's part of the CRM, that'll be an option in the answer as well. If you're just using CRM, that's perfectly okay. Yeah, it's consistent. But I think it's just interesting, kind of like phone calls, you know, gosh, four or five years ago, everyone's like, oh yeah, measuring phone calls. And now that's ubiquitous. Everyone's measuring their phone calls. And we're still, um, those who haven't made the jump to only do it in the CRM, they're kind of like, um, yeah, it's a black box. We don't really know. I mean, mm. I was talking to someone yesterday who I'm about to have a coaching call with uh, their boss uh, today. She showed me this chart that they're using and the salespeople are putting in a manual thing in a Google sheet. Then oh they're submitting stuff in. Then they also have Lasso. Then they also have another document. I'm like, oh. and none of it is in agreeing with each other. So do you just pick which one you like at any yeah. given point? Or uh, why, why are we doing so many different versions of this? I just think it'd be good for us to, to talk as a group in that Facebook group about how you guys are doing this and, and try to help each other out. I agree. Cool question. Love it. That'll do it for this week. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else that we are online. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye.